Hi, everyone. Welcome to another segment of our Mental Health Moments. My name is Linda Gallick. I'm the Health and Wellbeing Consultant here at Bell and & Health, and uh, so happy to bring you this segment today. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so as you can see, I have that background up today. Uh, we are really um, prioritizing bringing attention to mental health, and of course, this segment does that all the time, but it's always a good reminder um, how important mental health is. So today, we are focusing on the topic of perfectionism, and to help us with that discussion, we have special guest, Ellie Spitzer. Ellie is a graduate of Algoma High School, and she is a current uh, PT student at Carroll College. So Ellie, welcome. Thank you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> And as always, we have our behavior health therapist, uh, Charles Latour. How are you doing today, Charles? Good, thank you, Linda. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's gorgeous outside. So if you can, everyone, put this on your phone and take, take a walk while you're listening, because it's beautiful. So it is Mental Health Awareness, awareness Month. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about perfectionism and how that can affect people. And uh, so, Charles, I will let you um, start that discussion. Sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting, you know, the, the topic I think we have is great because there's so many tie-ins to mental health and an indicator that uh, something that impacts us doesn't necessarily have to be in and of itself diagnostic. You know, there's... Perfectionism isn't like a DSM diagnostic area, although it could be, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's also interesting in the sense that how we even think of it. There's the dynamic in which people typically are asked in a job interview, what's a weakness? And people will use this in a way of, well, I'm perfectionistic, and it doesn't necessarily seem so much a weakness for someone to be perfectionistic. So it has this element of what we would call something really healthy and helpful and something we even strive to be. But as we talk, you'll see it can sometimes be not quite so helpful. So taking a look at it, even to begin with, what is it? It's in its possibly truest form, a set of self-defeating uh, thought patterns that push us to look at trying to reach unrealistic goals, um, which people falsely believe to be attainable. So this perfectionistic thing that we know of Maybe nothing's um, that we do might be perfect and we're not perfect because I ask people all the time who struggle with this, are you perfect? No, but you expect yourself to be perfect. And that disconnect in and of itself can be uncomfortable. But there's really three ways that we could look at perfectionism. The first one, as you can see on the slide is self-oriented perfectionism when someone demands perfection from themselves, when this is this internal type of perfectionistic streak that we have that is kind of in the realm of, I'm driving this. So 
sometimes it's born out of the feeling that I've maybe been imperfect or I can't let go of something that I did that was problematic. So I try to overcompensate by being perfect. If for some reason I feel imperfect on the inside, I try to be perfect on the outside. So then there's the other oriented perfectionism, the perfectionism where someone is demanding um, perfection from other people. Some of you may know of supervisors who have functioned this way. Um, there's many people that we know of in society from reports of their leadership. Um, one in particular, I won't name any names, but people may think of as this person was notorious for you didn't even want to be in an elevator with this person because by the time you got to the, if you went on at the first floor, by the time you got off on the third, you might be fired for because of this person's notorious high expectations of perfection from everybody. One of the, probably the one we think of most, maybe we could think of it in terms of classical perfectionism is uh, the self-oriented, but this other one, socially prescribed perfection, is where the person feels pressure from other people to be perfect. This can come from parents, this can come from teachers, this can come from coaches, this could come from a variety of different uh, social media has almost become in essence like a weapon of mass destruction for this, right? The, the need to have this perfectly curated and presented life and that when we're living in our backstory of life, but we're seeing these perfectly curated highlight reel of other people's lives, this, this alone is one of the, the primary factors and why I think we see more and more and more of this uh, perfectionistic streak in people. So, so I want to talk about this in, in another direction as well. And if we could go to the next slide, there's an interesting way that we could look at it. And it's in the realm of something that might be adaptive and something that might be maladaptive. And the adaptive part might be somewhat easy for people to really tap into. Because when, when I meet with and work with people who seem to struggle with their, their perfectionism, they tend to not want to let go of it. Even if they can rationalize that it isn't helping me, the adaptive part, the part that does work, is what they're holding on to. So if you can see from the slide, the adaptive perfectionist wants to develop their skills continually, getting better. You've maybe heard this, me use this phrase along the way, particularly in athletics, but even in the game of life. We're either winning or learning or preferably both. The adaptive style perfectionist is always wanting to get better, continually to improve, standards are always rising, and they approach work with optimism, sports, other areas of life with pleasure, a desire to consistently improve. We could all probably think that that's a healthy way of approaching life and approaching life with getting better. Where Perfectionism can become a little bit more tricky 
sometimes even a little bit more uncomfortable is in the maladaptive perspective where nothing ever seems to be good enough. Nothing's enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't drive the, the uh, costly enough car. Uh, I don't get it, the good grades. I haven't hit enough home runs. I haven't struck out enough batters. Whatever it is, it seems like nothing is ever enough. Amazingly, even when it is enough for other people and they're getting complimented, things are going well, but unless they achieve what they think of as perfection, but even then, even when they get it, they tend to dismiss it. And the more maladaptive that perfectionistic streak gets, the more unhappy, they almost lose joy in life. Like the joy of life is sucked out of it because nothing feels good because even if something did go well, we're just on to the next one. Not only unhappiness, but maybe painful emotions. These painful emotions and being consistently unhappy and let down by yourself and feeling you've let other people down, where this can be even more diagnostic, it could lead to depression, it could lead to anger with yourself, it could lead to anxiety, it could lead to difficulty in relationships, because we feel we're never enough for ourselves. I call it the morphing, never enoughs, but other people. And it could also lead to OCD-related type behaviors where I always have to be so focused on what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. We become, we become obsessive. And there's another one that, so these things, one last thing I want to say is it's interesting in the way that these things could be either a result of a diagnostic issue. Take, for example, ADHD. One of the hallmark characteristics of ADHD is procrastination. But procrastination, when it comes to perfectionism, is this type of situation in where the per pro procrastinating perfectionist is always trying to find the right time, whether it's to do an assignment or study for a test after school. Well, I'm too busy. I've got baseball. Then I'll study after baseball. Well, you know, I'm a little bit hungry now. I have to eat, then I'll study. Then they eat while I'm a little bit this now, I'll do it a little bit later. Too noisy right now for me to do it. I'll do it when everybody goes to bed. I'm too tired now. I'll do it in the morning. So there's this procrastination, perfectionism of finding the perfect time that keeps someone from which, by the way, we all know that perfect time will never happen in all likelihood. So then the deadline gets in the way. They didn't get the grade that they wanted. So the ADHD can lead to these procrastinating perfectionistic tendencies. But other times the, the procrastination or the perfectionism can lead to an actual diagnostic. So it can be a cause or an effect of the diagnostic issues that we experience. But the main thing about it more than anything, and this is why I'm so happy Allie is with us today, she can talk more about the personal experience of this because when you have perfectionism going on, 
when it's in the adaptive realm, it's, it can be a wonderful, fantastic thing. When it can go in the other direction, it can impact our lives, it could impact our happiness, it can impact our well-being and our overall mental health, which again is what we're all here to do today, is understand our mental health as well as we can. So, and to be the best that we can in the way we enjoy our mental health. So Ali, one of the things we always look forward to is guests and uh, knowing your story and, and having you here today is so great. So uh, turning it over to you to run with it. And thank you so much for being here. All right. Well, that all sounds good. Um, I just wanted to start by saying thank you to everyone for being here today and for allowing me to share my story. Um, and I also wanted to especially thank my dad, um, Jamie Spitzer, Charles, Linda, and Jody for helping to set this up and inviting me to talk today. So as Linda mentioned, my name is Allie Spitzer and I'm currently a second year student in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at Carroll University in Waukesha, Wisconsin. So perfectionism has been something I've struggled with my entire life, um, but recently, it forced me to kind of step back, self-reflect and reevaluate my life. So today I'm incredibly grateful to be able to share my own personal story and give you just a glimpse of what I've gone through in my life. For me and what you'll hear in my story today, I discovered the difference between perfectionism being a part of my life versus perfectionism taking over my life. And my goal for today is just to spread awareness that perfectionism is real and it does exist, but it does not have to define who you are. So my story is titled Defining Perfection to those who struggle with the pressure of being perfect. So perfect, it's a word, just a word, right? Well, not for me. It's my every minute of every day. It's my goal, it's my life. If I'm not working towards being what this word demands, then why try? This word has ruled my life for years, and yet I know I will never achieve it. It's something I struggle with on a constant basis. This battle I have with myself of dealing with the pressure to be perfect and everything I do did not just randomly appear in my life. I think over the years, every single A I received on an exam or a gold star in a piano recital song or a top place finish in a track race or a comment from classmates or a professor about my success in a class subconsciously reinforced this concept of perfectionism in my head. It started to form this concept that I needed to be perfect to please others around me and live up to the standards. I needed to do everything in my power not to make mistakes or let others see me fail. Otherwise, this image of perfection would shatter at an instant and I would not be able to live with myself if I let that happen. The struggle with perfectionism and living up to high standards continued to progress and recently reached a high point that forced me to step back and reevaluate my life. The story I'm about to share is not about telling you what you should or should not do if you also struggle with the pressure of being perfect. Rather, we all have the power to write our own story and deal with our struggles as we choose, but I'm here to let you know that you shouldn't have to do it alone. So in the fall of 2021, I started my first semester in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at Carroll University. I had already completed my undergraduate degree, which consisted of a major in exercise science and a minor in psychology. My undergrad experience consisted of classes five days a week, 
cross country or track practice five nights a week, meets every Saturday, club meetings once a week, and catching up on homework and studying during the weekends. To say the least, I was busy, but I loved it. I was genuinely happy with my schedule and all the responsibilities and obligations that came along with it. Looking back, I was happy because in my mind, things were perfect. I had straight A's in all my classes. I was the top mid-distance runner on the track team, an 11-time all-conference athlete, and a record holder with some of my best friends. I had an amazing support system, including my family, my track coach, teammates, roommates, and my boyfriend. I mean, again, I was happy because everything was going perfect in my mind. All the characteristics of that perfect life I had during undergrad seemed to follow me into my first semester of grad school, which was great, until it wasn't. This pressure I put on myself to be perfect only grew stronger during spring semester. Classes got more difficult. The demands of sports increased as I had less free time on the weekends due to track meets every Saturday. And I also had to do all the normal things that life demands, like make dinner, do laundry, go grocery shopping, clean my room, and make time for relationships with my family, friends, and my boyfriend. Life got to be very stressful. And this all-consuming feeling of keeping up with the demands to be perfect grew stronger by the day. To start, I had to keep my straight A's in classes, which meant studying nonstop when I was not in class or at practice and going the extra mile to make sure I knew the information inside out. Sometimes this meant I studied for an extra hour instead of going to bed sooner. Sometimes this meant I got so stressed out about studying for an exam or completing a homework assignment that I felt sick and I refused to eat. Eventually, this anxiety and stress piled up and started to affect other areas of my life besides school. I was more irritable towards my friends, my boyfriend, and that all meant I was not the most pleasant person to be around. I fixated so much on school that I refused to stop and take any time for myself or spend time with others despite their efforts to help me. I figured I didn't deserve to take a break if I wanted to be perfect. Perhaps the most detrimental effect this mindset had on my life was in track. Running has always been a passion of mine. I started track in seventh grade and it's always been my favorite sport. But running can be a very love-hate relationship sometimes, but nothing comes close to the feeling I get after crossing the finish line of a race and knowing I left everything out there that I could. Running was my happy place, or at least it was prior to the spring semester. About halfway through the indoor track season, my running was not where I wanted it to be. I was not performing how I wanted to at practice, during hard workouts, or at meets. I felt like I was putting in so much effort, but not seeing any reward from it. Most of the time, I just felt completely exhausted. I was constantly fatigued, either mentally or physically, probably due to the fact that I was compromising both sleep and eating for school. I felt like my mind and my body were not connecting the way they needed to. I was stressed out from school, and I couldn't separate the two, which was something I'd always been good at. Whenever I was at practice or a meet, my mind was focused on the fact that I wasn't studying and I felt guilty about it. I remember there was a week where every single day I came home from either class or practice and I just cried. I didn't know how to process all my stress and all the pressure I was putting on myself. I felt completely trapped and I didn't know what to do. And for the first time in my entire life, I thought about quitting track, like quitting running altogether. Something that I loved for so long was now stressful for me. It wasn't fun, and that broke my heart. But in the end, I stuck out the season, 
I completed the indoor season placing second in the 1500 meter run, which was the highest place I'd ever finished in my collegiate career. But keep in mind, the day prior to that race, I hadn't passed a skill check for one of my classes. And for the first time in my life, I'm not exaggerating, I had failed something. How I recovered from that and raced how I did is still sometimes a mystery to me, but that's what I do. I'm a perfectionist and failure only makes me work 10 times harder so I don't fail again. And I knew I couldn't fail in track two. So I did everything in my power to let go and just race, just compete against myself and not worry about everyone else. And the way I felt during that race is a feeling I wish I had all the time. I just felt free. This was something I hope would have continued during my outdoor season, but unfortunately, my life continued to compile of stress and anxiety and running continued to be a stressor for me. Most days I felt like I was on autopilot. I was doing the same thing over and over again. I'd wake up, go to class, go to practice, maybe come home and eat dinner, have my oh too often cry session, study, go to bed, repeat. Some days are better than others, some days it was easier for me to find my bright spots, but most days I was counting down the end of the semester and the end of my track season because I just needed a break. So once track ended, I took weeks off where I didn't run at all. I didn't even have the slightest urge to go for a run, not one. I was in a full semester of summer classes, so that was the priority. And I told everyone, including my teammates, my family and my coach that I was going to take the summer to think about whether I wanted to continue competitive running in the fall, even though I knew in my mind and my heart that my decision was made. I just didn't want to tell anyone out of fear of letting people down and again, not living up to the standards. It took me almost three months before I finally told people about my decision to stop competitively running. Again, running had always been a passion of mine and something I did for fun. It was never meant to be stressful and I knew I couldn't keep doing it and living life as I was. I knew something had to change. So I started by telling my boyfriend, my family, and my close friends, and not one person made me feel guilty about my decision. In fact, those around me who saw my struggles and knew what I was going through on a daily basis told me they thought it was the right decision for me to make. Then I told my track coach, which was a difficult conversation for me to have, but at the end of the day, he was always someone who was there for me through thick and thin, and supported me in my life from more than just an athletic standpoint. These conversations were difficult for me because, again, I felt like I was letting people down, but the relief I felt afterwards was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. Because I think for the first time in my life, I had made a decision completely for myself. I ignored my worries about what others would say or the pressure I felt from people who wanted me to keep running. For the first time in my life, I didn't live up to the standards of what others wanted me to do. I wasn't perfect, and somehow that was okay with me. So this story is just one of the many examples of my struggles with perfectionism, but it's one of the more important stories to share because it forced me to make a change in my life. Now, since I decided to stop competitively running, it, it doesn't mean all my problems instantly faded away. The pressure of perfectionism is still something I battle on a daily basis. But through this experience, I've developed better coping mechanisms and strategies to work through those hard days. Currently, the schedule of my life still looks very similar as it did before. I'm still in graduate school for physical therapy. I'm still a straight A student. I still study constantly. I still have time for the normal things in life, like grocery shopping and doing laundry. 
and I still have a super supportive family and boyfriend who helped me through my ups and downs on a regular basis. However, the one part of my schedule that has changed is my me time. Over the last couple months, I've slowly allowed more and more time for myself within my daily schedule. This could mean I stop studying a little earlier and watch a Netflix show, or I read a book before going to bed, or I take a break from studying and go for a run, which I now have complete control over how far I go, how fast I run. There's no set paces or distance like it was when I competed. And that freedom alone has brought back my love for running. This me time at first was very difficult because every time I felt guilty about it, I felt that I didn't deserve it, but I did. I needed it. And after I started to put that on my list of priorities, I was a lot happier and it was easier for me to find the bright spots on a given day. And I was a much more pleasant person to be around. So before I end my story, I wanted to provide three pieces of advice to my fellow perfectionist. Three things that I've learned throughout this experience Again, I'm not perfect. No one is. I'm still working through my struggles each day, but things are easier for me. So here you go. Number one, ask for help. This was a battle I thought I could fight alone. I thought I needed to be strong for myself and so that others wouldn't see me fail. I thought I needed to be perfect, which meant I had to handle my issues alone. Not true. Those couple months were incredibly difficult for me and I didn't know what to do. It got to a point where I had to reach out to my support system. My boyfriend was with me the entire time and saw what I was going through. He was the first person I went to for everything. And just having another human being there to tell me that everything was going to be okay and that I was supported meant more than I can even describe. Then I reached out to my parents and told them what was going on. Specifically, my dad helped me work through a lot of my emotions as he is a certified life coach. He even gave me the contact information for a sports psychologist that I could reach with a simple phone call if needed. And lastly, I talked with my track coach who was nothing but supportive. He saw me every day at practice and meets and he could always tell when something was off. And he didn't hesitate to check in on me, which I appreciated because I was never good at admitting something was wrong. So I guess what I'm trying to stress is the importance of reaching out to someone and asking for help if you feel stuck. The people in your life that truly love you and support you will stay no matter what. So I would like to say thank you to those who stayed with me. You know who you are. Number two, always focus on the bright spots. At the end of the day, we are our worst critic. Perfectionists often set incredibly high standards. And if we don't reach our goals, we automatically think we failed. This is still something I struggle with, especially in school. I could get a 95% on an exam and I would only focus on the 5% I got wrong rather than focusing on the 95% I got correct. Over the last couple months, I've really tried to focus on what I'm doing well and what is going right. Again, I'm not perfect with this, but when I find myself super stressed out about something, I shift my mindset to focus on the good, to focus on the bright spots, as I like to call them. The more that I focus on staying positive and reminding myself of everything that is going well in my mind, the easier it is for me to ignore the negative thoughts and fears that like to creep in. This skill is still something I'm trying to master, and it will take some practice, but I encourage you to try it. When you find yourself focusing on something negative, find the bright spot. Even if it's the feeling of a warm sunny day or a compliment from a stranger or a much needed hug from a loved one, cherish those moments and hold on to them for when you need them most. And lastly, number three, focus on what you can control. Much of my stress and anxiety stemmed from the fact that I'm a futuristic thinker. And so I constantly am worrying about the next thing. What grade am I going to get on an exam or skill check? Or how would I place in the conference track meet if I took one day off from running? 
I was always trying to predict the results of my actions and of course, always expecting the worst to happen. I figured it would be best to assume the worst so I could be mentally prepared, right? Wrong. This only added stress to my life, which I didn't need. Most things I worried about were completely out of my control. So why spend time worrying about them if I can't do anything in my power to change the outcome? This is a concept my dad has really stressed to me and something I continue to work on each day. Only focus on what you can control. And often that means focusing more on the present day and taking things one step at a time. Don't get caught up in futuristic thinking or trying to predict your life based on the choices you make. About 80% of the things we worry about never happen anyway. So why spend the extra mental energy on them? Rather channel your energy to focus on the present and what you can control. So there you have it. There's my story. It had its highs and its lows, but that's life, right? I just wanted to say thank you all again for listening. And I hope you're able to find at least one positive takeaway to try in your own life. And to my fellow perfectionist, keep going. Keep finding the bright spots. Keep living. You got this. Thank you. Thank you so much. What we really appreciate your vulnerability and being so transparent and just telling us all, all of all of what you were experiencing. We just so appreciate that. I absolutely love your three items of advice. That's, that's so helpful and so practical for us to really to really consider. So thank you for that. I mean, the asking for help. We we talk about that a lot in terms of our our mental health. That's definitely a a topic of conversation and I definitely love the idea of don't worry about controlling things you can't control because how many of us do that right just right. have marines raising your hand right now <laughs> we all do that don't we we try to control things and uh, we can't always we can let go that's amazing uh, Charles uh, what were your thoughts on Allie's story Want to make sure I'm not. Am I? Do we have mute off? Yep. Yep. You're good. Okay. Good. Yeah. First of all, Allie, thank you so much. Amazing. Just amazingly touching. In a way, it's. I'm so happy you did what you did, in terms of going through it, but then what you did to to help yourself as well as allow help from others. Um, we've used this phrase over the course of um, this program in many respects, is that sometimes people will think asking for help or accepting help is giving up on yourself. But I like the phrase, which is asking and accepting help is refusing to give up on yourself. So being able to ask and accept help, unbelievably great. The other thing is that I always like this phrase, which is control the controllables and let go of the uncontrollables for you to get there in that process, especially someone who struggled with the experience of perfectionism, as you had seen part of what is so mentally exhausting about perfectionism is trying to control every single last thing every single last grade, every single last outcome, and part of the work of getting there to the place where you have got is being able to say what I can't control, I'm going to almost in a control way, make sure I don't try to, and the things that I can, 
I'm going to be even more fiercely dedicated to controlling those. But the, even the way you kicked off those three personal tips that you have used, I think is the maybe for most people, the most important one is that I am not perfect. When you say that to yourself is that when we could really get in touch with that, I am not perfect. That's the start to letting go of that need for perfection, which we ultimately somewhere intellectually know we will fail because we're not perfect, but trying to uphold perfectionism eventually will always hurt us more than at the end of the day help us because of that very uh, component. But one other thing I want to say is I love that ability to be able to look at the bright spot and spots in a day. One of the other most concerning to people, hallmark characteristics of perfectionism is this intense all or nothing experience that I'm either this or I'm either this. It's um, perfectionism, I either wildly succeeded or failed miserably. They, the inability to experience the gray and the ability to then turn towards that and see bright spots rather than all or nothing experiences to be able to find the good in our day and redirect our brain in that capacity is also, I think, a great, you know, you're not just doing it, but capturing it and coding that way is what was most prominent in its helpfulness to me. Absolutely great stuff. Absolutely great all the way around. So thank you so much all the way. Yeah, again, thank you for letting me come on here. And I, I, I wrote that story um, at the end of summer um, after I'd gone through everything. My dad had encouraged me to kind of sit down and reflect on everything I'd been through. And I didn't realize how powerful it was going to be. I didn't really anticipate even I was just going to share with my family and that was going to be it. So I never imagined being able to kind of share it on a bigger platform. But I think it is a really important topic. And just to let people know that there there are people out there that do struggle with this. But again, as I said, I think there's a difference in what I discovered is, yes, I've lived with perfectionism, but it got to a point where it was controlling my life. It wasn't just a part of it. Um, and now I've kind of reined it back in. Like I said, I, there's still moments in my life where I do struggle with it and I have to look to those three pieces of advice and kind of reflect and remember on what I've gone through, but it doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have to define who you are. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say one other thing, Allie, is that you had sent it to me a while back and I had read it and was, was really, really touched by the reading experience of it. Um, and I wasn't sure how, if it would be any different hearing you read it compared to reading it myself, but it took on a whole new and different intensity in the reading it experience. So uh, I'm glad that I got to read it earlier on, but hearing it even had a different level of power to it. So again, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Ellie, someone had commented in the chat, thank you for sharing, you're very brave. And I would really agree, it takes, it takes a lot to be able to 
you know, share a story like that and, and just know that you're helping others by doing that today. And, and so there's people on the call that may themselves or someone they know is, is struggling in that same way. So this is just so helpful um, to know that they're not alone. So Charles, I know we wanted to show a little bit then about what do we do? You know, what, what do we do if we think um, we ourselves are struggling in this way? How do we know when it might be us or it might be someone that we care about? So I'll go ahead and, and share that slide for you. Yeah, so to me, I think some of what Ali captured, you'll even see in the essence of this, but the main thing in, from a uh, treatment standpoint is to be able to stop that inner critic. I sometimes will, you know, the, the inner critic that is the largest or loudest voice in our uh, experience of perfectionism, I sometimes will tell people like, okay, if you, if you were to have a supervisor or hire a consultant, would you want them to be always in your face and in your ear telling you how poorly you were doing? Would you want them micromanaging you, criticizing every single step that you take, every single move that you make, everything you did telling you as far as you thought you would come that you hadn't gone far enough, that if you had done this, that that wasn't enough? that nothing you ever did was enough and that they didn't trust you. They didn't it, think that you could do what you could do. Would you hire that supervisor or that life coach or whatever? And they say, no. And I say, well, you've hired yourself to do that. Do you want to be the person that you wouldn't hire? that we could change that voice, we could change that inner critic, we could go from being able to see that it's not just wherever I've come, I don't look at how far I have to go, I look at how far I have now come. It doesn't, I don't have this voice of yeah, but, I have this voice of yes, and. I have this ability to be able to say, what I did is great, what am I still going to do? So when we want to overcome these harmful uh, perfectionistic traits, it's being able to challenge our behaviors and our beliefs to, do I have to be perfect? Uh, can I set more realistic goals? And there's this term in the psychological world, which is radical self-acceptance. Most perfectionists maybe ultimately would like to get there, but to be radically self-accepting when we're so radically critical is a large step. So maybe we could make at least one slight or small change. There's this great article that I read on it and this struggling forever perfectionist had this, uh, she was a um, psychologist, perfectionistic, oriented person and who loved to entertain and routinely had people over to her, her place. And, but it was always like the most stressful thing for her because everything had to be Martha Stewart and beyond type of perfect. And what she decided she would do was, I'm gonna try to do just one thing that I could be okay with it not being perfect. 
and decided it would be maybe the food. So instead of having everything perfectly made and set up and done by the time everybody got there, and then she would serve it and everybody would say how great it is, she decided, you know what? When everybody comes, I'm just gonna have us all do a couple things together. And rather than me having everything perfect before, and it turned out to be everybody, the feedback to her was, boy, you know that, that was great. We had so much fun doing this all together. So it went from being this torture-like, perfectionistic march towards a, a get-together to this fun, enjoyable thing that we all did together. So that one change that we could make to go from perfect to this is going to be okay. And it's kind of interesting that one of the people I work with who deals with this most consistently in my appointment with them today, getting ready for finals was like, is like, I just had to reassess what had to be as close to perfect and what had to be, well, it's due, so here it is. So, and being able to get there over the course of time is great. So being okay with situations where you don't have to be perfect, focusing on the bigger picture, not just this one thing. Allie called that out beautifully with, I can't just focus on one thing that has to be perfect. In the bigger picture of my life, what are some bright spots that I can really look at and appreciate and enjoy? And some of the research tells us that focusing on excellism rather than perfectionism in my progression to be as good as I could be rather than I have to be perfect. Or optimalism is the other word frequently used if anybody looks more into this, is I'm trying to be optimal in, in the things that I do and, but not necessarily perfectionistic. And this opens our minds to possibilities, whereas perfectionism seems to close us down and just get anxious about this certain thing. One thing I wanna say about these two words, especially the optimalism, when we look at grades, people who struggle with perfectionism, and kudos to Ali for maintaining all A's, but people who strive for excellence rather than perfectionism actually tend to get better grades and better performance in whether it's work or in school. But this is the one place where we could look at the one area of clinical work where lowering your standards actually improves your grades or your performance in a paradoxical way. So I look at psychology as the ability to improve human life. And this is one of the few areas where improving human life is lowering your standards rather than increasing them. So it's kind of paradoxical in that way. But being able to trust yourself, be confident in yourself, that, hey, and even if this isn't perfect, this is going to be good enough and this is going to be just fine. And I trust myself to be able to go and do that, bring it and be the best that I can be. And I want to do one other thing. Oscar Wilde, you know, in all the literature of this, Oscar Wilde, the quote was, don't shoot the piano player. He's doing the best that he can. So, um, 
we are all doing the best that we can and we have to not only be good with that but other people good with it and in wrapping up this i want to say one last thing perfectionistic even the term means being done from its latin root we are not done we are all a journey ali captured the journey beautifully uh, we're all in a progression, not a final state. So helping letting go of that final state and being able to say, I'm on a journey, that alone would be helpful. And on that journey, maybe none of us are perfect, but we're all unique. And to me, unique is Y-O-U, not with the, the letter U. You're all unique and perfect in your own way because we are here. And each and every person, Allie, Linda, everyone else on the call is a blessing. And if we could strive to be our best, optimal, and a blessing to everybody, that's the best that we could do, not perfectionism. So Allie, on that note, I want to say oftentimes we look at this program as being uh, hopefully a beaming ray of sunshine of optimal health and living to people's lives. And the mega dose of it that you delivered today was amazing. So thank you for that story. And I do want to do one last call out, and that is to your dad for connecting us to begin with. So if you're on the call, thank you, Jamie. And, and thank you to everyone for your time today. great information today and Charles thank you for emphasizing some of those things I, I love the idea of we aren't finished yet that's why that's why we're not perfect we're always going to continue to learn and improve and and grow so that's the exciting part of it so Allie thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing everything we really appreciate it and uh, Charles as always thank you so much for being being our therapist that just keeps helping us improve and, and grow and, and get better. And thanks to everybody on the call for joining us today. So I hope everybody has a great rest of the day. Get out and enjoy the beautiful weather. Take care, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>